0: This episode of The Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, and by Onyx Hunt. My guest today is Renee Tamala. At Renee's side is her living, walking, miracle dog named Quill. On their final hunt last December, Quill took an unthinkable fall. At the time, none of us were sure that he'd survive. We'll relive the moments from that life-changing hunt and discuss the events that happened next. Renee will share what their journey has been like and the lessons she's learned saving Quill's life and teaching him how to live again. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving which is obviously dangerous and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Welcome to this week's episode of The Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, is our producer. Brandon is not here today, but Renee Tamala is, and her dog, Quill, is right next to her at her side. What a joy it is to see you again, Renee, and to see Quill.
1: Likewise, and to have Daisy and Quill running around is amazing.
0: The second those two saw each other, it's it's like, the you know, like, oh. My bud's back. And they instantly went on point up on the edge of the trees as they were looking. I don't think you could have scripted anything more beautiful.
1: No, and right now they're at the base of my chair, laying as close as they can get to each other.
0: Are they serious? Oh my goodness. It's a little bit um it's kind of emotional. I haven't seen Quill in five months. And the last time I saw Quill, I didn't think or no if i'd see quill again so this is obviously just an amazing day um what part of the roller coaster do you think you're on right now is it a high a low or somewhere in between
1: i think i think we're in a pretty good little valley right now it's it's definitely a high because of how he is doing and where we're at yeah. um, but it's honestly just settling into our new normal and accepting how he is now and and the ways that it's changed how we do life and so we're just settling into that groove a little bit it's it's bittersweet but he has truly come farther than I think anyone has ever thought that he would and so in that regard it's the highest of highs you know
0: I mean, just looking at him right now, I have a bunch of people at our company, you know, when they they saw him at first, they're like, you would not know what he's gone through. Um, I know that many of our listeners right now are familiar with you, Renee, and Quill, from our TV show, uh, from previous podcasts that we've done, from your work at Pheasants Forever. Um, But I'm not sure that many of them have heard the story that we're going to share today about what happened the last time you and Chloe went hunting. I, I talked about it a little bit briefly on the show shortly after. Um, it was, it was just a, it, I mean, it, it shook all of us for sure that day. I, I didn't post a podcast that week. I just took a little bit of a couple of days off really to kind of reset. Um, I I talked about it a little bit, but out of respect for you, Joe, and Quill, I didn't go into any of the details. And then you and I have stayed in touch over these last few months. And we talked about having this conversation as a way to... <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> it's <laughs> He's happy to be here, too. Right, he's laying down in the bed. I I didn't go into a lot of the details about what happened. Just out of respect for you and, and Joe and for Quill. Um, but you and I, we've stayed in touch. And, uh, you know, we talked about having this conversation because you've gone through so much. You experienced more than you ever thought possible. And you've learned a tremendous amount from it that you feel is important to talk about. Um but I think I think maybe we take it from the top if you're ready. Are you ready?
1: I think so. I think as ready as I'll ever be.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, the whole story really begins because we were celebrating dogs. Our dogs. Daisy, Quill, Bridger, and Riggins were all um became life dog life members of pheasants forever. Last year was like November.
1: So yeah, somewhere mid, right around mid November.
0: And we were talking about how cool it'd be to film a, a TV show to celebrate this. And so we set up the, the hunt to come out and, and film this hunt with our dogs and bird numbers were phenomenal. Um, I should back up. Emily Spoliar has two dogs, Bridger and Riggins, that she um, that became uh, dog life members. So Emily, yourself, and and myself, and a cameraman named Scott, we drove out there to come and do this. And you set up uh, a day that I mean, you couldn't have scripted anything more beautiful. Um, maybe take us into uh, what that place looked like and and how that day started off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We were in Southwest North Dakota and on a a piece of private land that is intersected by the um, Cannonball River. And it's a beautiful property and it held a ton of birds and it's managed well. And there's just ample room for birds to thrive out there and we stumbled into a lot of birds out a lot there. Of birds. Little little uh, brisk day. I think it was tw- high 20s, 30s, somewhere in there. But for, Mon-
0: or for North Dakota in December, uh, December 10th, for North Dakota, I remember thinking, this is like, you don't get many days like this because it was sunny and there was no wind. And a very light wind. So North Dakota can be punishing that time of the year. And there was quite a bit of snow on the ground, but it was cold and it had been cold. Everything was froze. The river was froze. Um, I don't know, maybe it wasn't quite a foot, but it was before the monster snowstorms came.
1: Right. And the birds had not been hunted out on that piece of land. And so they were giving lots of good dog work up and Daisy was on Fire that day. Oh. I will always remember Daisy's dog work from that day.
0: I I am with you. I we we went to lunch and it was a late lunch because we were just enjoying it so much. But I remember thinking, like, this is oh, this is like as good as it gets, you know, and all the dogs were though too. Quill was just a rock star out there. Um Bridger was covered up in ice balls, but Emily had Hungarian partridge in her pack. I think we were all close to our limit of pheasants by the time we came back to the truck.
1: Yeah. And at some point, you took the longest tailed rooster I have ever laid eyes on in person. Do you remember that?
0: (laughs) Yes. We were, yeah, we were standing waiting because the cameraman had to walk back and Daisy was on point. And we're like, there's no way that's a rooster. There can't be. So we waited like five minutes. And then we said, well, let's go see if it's still there. Cause the cameraman had not come back yet. So we thought, well, she's, she's been holding. And so we walk up there and picture perfect point, picture perfect flush, just a massive, massive rooster gets up one shot bird goes down. Like, I mean that, that was our last flush on the way back to the truck. And we were like, if it ends right here, it doesn't get a whole lot better. We had a tailgate lunch. Um And just we're riding a high, I think it's fair to say. Like that was, that was, do you remember it any different? I just remember it being like, oh, this is so spectacular.
1: No, that's exactly how I remember it. And actually, which we're getting into, but the moments right before kind of my world got flipped upside down, I remember standing there before shooting hours ended, just being completely content taking it all in yeah. with my feet in one place. Just taking a deep breath and just being thankful for that day because it was incredible.
0: Yeah, it truly was. We set back out for the golden hour walk and we went across, I guess, directionally, it might not matter for the conversation, but we started walking the the river bottom and I took the flat on top because I had already shot my limit of, of pheasants. And I thought, well, in this open, high flat, I might run into a covey of Hungarian partridge up there. Cause we had seen a few coveys as well. And so I remember walking and looking at you guys a few hundred yards away and Daisy's just running big out there. And I just gave her the freedom cause she had done so well. And I remember coming around this very steep cliff, and I was on the top of it, on the flat side of it. And I did the same thing. Um, I stopped. And we, I didn't know it at the time. But the sunset picture that I took, I went back and looked at it a couple days later as I was flipping through the pictures. Because when you're on a, on a trip, you take pictures and you don't often think about it. What I didn't know was that, in the bottom of that photo, you were there, and Emily was there, and Quill was there. And I didn't know it because I, I didn't see you guys that far down, and I didn't know what had happened. From where you were standing, can you share your, your view into what had happened?
1: I was standing at the kind of the curve at a at the cannonball took a really sharp curve and with that there was a steep cut bank right behind it on the other side of the the river from me. Um, creek is it a creek or a river?
0: I think it's a river. Okay. Yeah, um, it was frozen, but it was you could ca- you could barely cast across it in certain spots. I would say it's you know twenty yards. Wide, maybe wider than that.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm standing at this curve, and you've gone up, the, up to the left on top of this. And I know this is going to sound really weird because I can't put it into visual context yeah. for anyone. But you went up and climbed that the side of the cut bank essentially on the left, and Emily was starting to go up a draw, and in between the two of you is where it peaked at the top. And I'm moving my arms a lot and no one can see this um, except for you. But so I'm standing on the other side of this cut bank, just taking it all in. Just like, darn, this was a really good day. And there are only a couple minutes till sunset. I really don't need to push further for another bird. I'm just going to let things transpire. And uh, so I'm, I'm standing there and quill starts following emily up this draw this really steep draw and i i toned him i I, for a recall and i i beeped him so that he would come back to me and i'll never forget he just kind of turned his head back at me and turned his head forward and made a decision that he was going to keep going and i knew just by his body language that he smelt a bird he was on a bird and sure enough he gets just a little ahead of Emily um, and is on the steep, I guess, incline of this draw heading up to the top of this cut bank. And I can't see him at this point. And Emily yells out, Quill's on point right in front of me. And, and not right in front of, she was probably 40 yards away by the time he had gone on point and. She was trying to make it up that draw and she was slipping on ice and rocks and was having a hard time getting up and it was steep. And um, the bird flushed when Emily was still about 30 yards away from Quill. And um, Quill took off after the bird and Emily lost sight of the bird, Emily lost sight of Quill. And she heard me shoot once, because um, I'm still standing on the other side of the river, um, and this bird has come off the cut bank directly over my head, like it was scripted. Mm-hmm. I took one shot. I hit it, not as hard as I would have liked to, and so I took another shot at it. And Emily, I I can't hear her, but she's told me, you know, she's yelling like "good shot" because um, she's excited that I've shot at a bird, and um, I have. I rarely ever take my eyes off of a bird that I've shot because I'm going to mark where it lands. And it's very important for me to recover it. And dogs don't always find birds. And so I I mark it. But it's very vivid in my memory that that bird is mid-fall. I have very, I've hit it very hard on that second hit. Mm -hmm. It is falling dead. And I turned around. And I didn't know that something had happened to Quill, but I must have—I must have subconsciously heard it in between my shots. I—I just—I took my eyes off this bird. I whipped around, and at the bottom of the cut bank, Quill was laying on the ground across the creek from me. And um, I didn't know what had happened, but I put it together pretty darn quick and he was he was just laying there and I could hear him yelping and uh it's funny the things that you remember but I the first thing I did was I ripped my ball cap and my stocking cap off and threw it and I threw my gun with the other hand into the snow and um just took off across the creek him and it was I you can see my footprints in your photo running straight yeah. to him across this creek and um uh, I I just again gathered what had happened and um his his front left left leg was um completely snapped in half uh mm. below the elbow uh, which was gruesome I've never seen anything like that but it I knew it was bad because that was not the most alarming thing wrong with the picture. And um, as I was ripping my hat off, I remember screaming, Quill, just very, very loud. And Emily heard that and came running down that draw to me. And she and I, I think, kind of looked at each other and caught eyes and um, realized that things were really, really wrong and we both ran to him and, and met over him. And he was in a, he was in a great deal of agony. Um, he was, uh, excuse me, he was writhing on the ground in pain and couldn't move. And, um, you know, the corners of his mouth were pulled back and kind of sucking for air a little bit. Um, but just in so much pain and, um, Emily and I kind of came to this, I think, silent understanding that like he's he's not gonna make it out of here. This is this is it. And I um I just leaned over him and I was and more or less kind of saying my goodbyes. Um because things were that bad. And um there was no way that he was gonna he was gonna pull through that and And I guess I've failed to mention the part that he's laying at the bottom of a 50-foot cut bank. Yeah, Um, You know, we didn't pull out the tape measure, but it's... Very steep. Very, very steep. And it was a straight free fall. I mean, he didn't... It it was a sharp enough cut in the bank where the erosion had taken place that um, he didn't touch anything on the way down. And it was horrendous. It was...
0: A frozen... uh, The ground was frozen too so it wasn't there was nothing to absorb any of the fall either
1: no it was i i imagine it was a very obviously a very hard hit and one thing out of all of it that i am very thankful for is that i did not see him fall and emily did not see him fall because i don't know that i could have handled that because i replay that situation all of the time I yeah. mean it really sticks with you because it's one of your biggest nightmares that you didn't even know was possible and um, not having seen him fall was oddly uh, it's just it's a blessing I guess and um, I don't know if he launched himself over after that bird and didn't even know that the cliff bank or the cut bank was coming I don't know if he got to the edge and teetered um, slipped slipped i have i will never know but i just know that he ended up at the bottom of it
0: yeah i mean you go from a, a flat i mean from the top so i'm at the top and i'm probably 200 yards out into the middle of the open on top so i heard a gunshot but that's all and then from the top um you know it's it's snow there's some brush there where the bird obviously came out of um but like you said it's It couldn't have been any more vertical basically Um, so if he was moving at one mile an hour that's fast enough to fall straight Um, so I walked around and in that moment I had no idea I took a picture of the sunset and in the picture I a couple days later looked at that to realize that you guys are sitting at the bottom over the top of quill and a couple moments later I walked further down and I happened to see you guys and I knew instantly something was wrong. And I don't know if it was you or Emily, or maybe it was Scott, the cameraman, but somebody yelled, Get the truck. It's Quill. We need the truck. And it was about half a mile back to the to the where our vehicles were parked. At least maybe yeah. a little bit more. So I had Daisy, I had Riggins on that one. Emily was running her setter Riggins, I believe that night, right? So they were up on top with me, Riggins like I mean, I've never handled him before in any way, but he was he was right there. And Daisy and Riggins and I, we went straight back to the truck. Riggins hopped in Emily's car. We came back down with my truck. And then from the the drive through that property, I think I I could get us about 200 yards away from that cliff. And by the time I got back, you um, and Emily had started to carry Quill up. But it was so steep that I just remembered seeing all of the mud that you guys had all over your bodies and the pure exhaustion and the, the shock had set in. So Quill's in a state of shock at this point. This is the first time seeing him and understanding what's going on, but his bone is sticking out of his leg, and his leg is just snapped in half, but he is in shock, and that's the scary part, is Emily looked at me, you were looking, hugging him, holding him, and she said, it's not the leg, it's worse, there's something else, and we need to get him now, and so I don't remember, did I so I still had my vest with. I remember cleaning up my vest so that I could use it if needed. And I remember putting quill in my vest and then wrapping him around. So his legs were wrapped. his he was fa- his stomach was facing my back and his legs were wrapped around me. And then you and Emily pushed my backside to keep me from falling backwards down this cliff to get him up in hindsight, maybe we should have gone around, <laughs> but in the moment you're kind of like, you guys already got him up. You that, know, a that pretty-
1: moment was stressful and you don't make the right judgment calls. But I, the, the point that we were, I guess from point A to point B to get up to the truck where you had parked, that was the quickest way and yeah. not the easiest way. No. Um, but the shortest distance. And that's what Emily and I decided. And getting him up to that point where you met us with your vest was a physically one of the hardest things i've ever do ever done excuse me i i mean i was full i was in shock he's in shock i'm half trying to grieve him because i don't think he's going to make it and half trying to get my wits about me and get him out and emily and i just kind of like I mean, we were gentle with him, his his leg is in half, but we were just kind of like heaving him up this cliff. And it got so bad that we were slipping and we took turns like I would, we'd get him to a point up above us and I would hold him in place with my arms above my head until she could climb up and and scratch her way up above him to hold him there. And then we were just like mm-hmm. climbing a ladder up you know, just kind of tag teaming this. And it, I, it was so incredibly hard. And so when you got to us with not fresh legs, but you know, fresher than us, and we could put them in your pack and, and yeah, push you up this cliff. And- yeah.
0: I think it's um, like, if, if there's like a clay wall, a clay bank of, of sorts to describe it, you know, when you get into those positions, the clay just keeps you know, like it keeps falling out from under itself, and that was a struggle to get out of there. Um, but we we did get him, and he's he's in shock. And then um, we, you and I, got in the you got in the back seat, and I set him on your lap. And I remember saying, "It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay." We're gonna get him to help, and it's gonna be okay. And this is where I think um, having friends is is so helpful. And we made calls on our way. We had an hour, like I think it's a fifty-minute drive. Called the vet on-call doctor. Yep, we'll meet you there. Um, And but I also knew that we had to we had to be safe about it too. I kept remember I kept thinking in my mind stay calm, stay calm. Because in the moment there was just so much going on. It was very chaotic from everybody. Scott had never been on a hunt before. This is his first time on a hunt. And for him, he's like, he doesn't even, he's over here in his own, um, mind, not sure what to do, how to help, how to get out of the way. What, what can I do? And you and, and Emily, um, you know, the, the state of mind that you two were in, um, but I just remembered thinking to myself, just stay calm. And so we we called. I called a friend of mine, and he said, "Check temperature. Check uh, gums. You know, here's some things you can look for. Keep them warm." So we had Quill wrapped up in every hunting jacket possible.
1: I was just in your back seat with him on my lap, and I'm pulling at pants, <laughs> and I'm pulling at vests, and I'm like, "I'm sorry, Travis, but your back seat is now covering
0: yes Quill." Yes, exactly. But um, the fear really, I think there's so many moments that stand out to me from there. But it was just like this, this overall un, being unsure. We meet the vet there and carry Quill in. And I think, I mean, I, I don't think that they were prepared for what we brought in at that time.
1: No, he had a 95.1 degree temperature, which is probably, I think, maybe the first thing that he did, or they did. Um, You actually hauled him from the truck into the back of the vet clinic, and meanwhile, I had a a full-blown panic attack out front at the vet office, and um, before I got to go back to you guys, and yeah, 95.1, and white white gums and they did ultrasounds and they did a quick x-ray and found that he had a severe pneumothorax his lungs had very bad contusions on them from the impact but other than that everything checked out so and so to say you know no no significant breaks that they could see um but Obviously, things were very bad, much worse than we initially found there, but he was in rough shape.
0: Mm-hmm. He, he was still blinking, uh, breathing, but that's basically it. I don't remember him moving or being able to move anything. I'm not sure if he could lift his own head at that point, but I think it was just a shock that he was in. And that's what they said he's in shock. And so then I think. Oh this is where your journey is is um something that i I guess you know i <clears throat> we were there for a few hours, and you had to make a decision right there and then, and um I'm talking to Joe,
1: your fiance,
0: and three of us are having to make a decision, but it's ultimately your decision on what to do and the The hard part is that we weren't given any, you know. It's like tell us something, you're the doctor. Tell us something, right? What from from your mind, in your mind, Renee? Can you take us back to that specific moment? They did the X rays. She said he might make it through the night, but he might not.
1: It was. Incredibly overwhelming. I mean, I was completely sick to my stomach, and I know that you can't necessarily ask a vet to make decisions for you, but I had never seen a dog in that terrible of condition. And I just truly didn't know if he was going to make it a half an hour or forever. And I really needed guidance. And, you know, it's really hard for them to provide that because they can't they can't guess at what's going to happen with him. And it just, it was a kind of a coin toss of just, yeah, he might make it, but we cannot tell you and you have a decision. And I remember asking over and over again, should I put him down right now? Because I, seeing your dog suffer like that and not knowing what's ahead of them is so awful. And it was so sudden and I just couldn't stand the thought of dragging him along through the next hours when he was in that shape, if he didn't have, I just, it was an impossible situation to be in. And um, thankfully you were a very steady, just calming presence. And um, I just, it was terrible. I don't wish that on anyone. And um, we ultimately made the decision to try and he you know, wasn't showing signs of deteriorating more, which I don't know how you do deteriorate more yeah. at that point. Yep. And so I made the decision to haul him down to Rapid City, South Dakota, which was four, four hours. Um, and this is, yeah, by this time, it's 7, 8 p.m.
0: Yeah, I think it was actually a little later than that um, because the vet wasn't a 24-hour vet. And no. so we're left. You're left with a really tough decision. Um, it, you, if you leave him here, like I don't know that that was the hard part. I think because you're put in a tough spot. Your options were to go to Billings, Montana, Rapid City, South Dakota, or Fargo, and uh, the closest one was ultimately Rapid City.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, they triaged him, so to say, when we got there. But we could have kept him there, but they no one would have been with him overnight and so yeah it really forced me into a a corner of just you either make the drive or you see if he's alive when someone shows up in the morning here <laughs> and so I just took the chance and decided to drive to Rapid City with Emily thank goodness uh, she drove me there while again I, I stayed with Quill in the back seat just hanging on to him for dear life you know and the hour to the Hedinger Clinic and the four hours to Rapid City. The enti- those drives, I just I knew at any minute he could just take his last breath, and so it was. It was on pins and needles for so long, I, and for for weeks after that, it was pins and needles. Mm-hmm.
0: If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Hunting season might be over, but that doesn't mean it's time to mope around the house and hang your head. That's because it's meat season. Now's a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Gistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. Yeah, I, I remember just the constant conversations between with, uh, you know, I ultimately talked to Joe a lot more while you were in the vet um, and having conversations with him because I knew you were just under a lot when you were in there. So from your perspective, you know, you get to rapid city and there's still no clarity. I remember Joe asking me too. He's like, what would you do? And I'm like, I can't, I can't make that decision, you know? And he's like, I just wish a doctor would give us that, you know, what are our chances here? You know, will he ever walk again? Because the one leg didn't look good, but it was the back that was basically um, not nothing functioning in the back half.
1: Right, he wouldn't even try. He wouldn't do anything but lay there, which is completely understandable, but yep. um, we had no idea the extent extent of his injuries and what was actually happening internally. And yeah, Joe and I came to an agreement that we would keep going and keep pursuing treatment until someone, some vet told us, no, he's not going to make it through this. His quality of life will suffer greatly. Um, and so we just, we agreed that we would keep trying until someone told us, don't.
0: So you got to Rapid City. What did the vets there say?
1: He was still in in really bad shape. He had not I mean I wouldn't even say he was stabilized by the time we got to Rapid City. He still had a very low body temperature. He was um I did not know this, but black tarry stools are a sign of internal injuries and he was um he was relieving himself of that type mm-hmm. and um but they they looked at him his leg had been his front leg that had the open fracture had been wrapped by the previous clinic. And they weren't really willing to open that up, I guess, until we knew what was happening. Um, and so they did more x-rays and they did more ultrasounds, but could not see anything significantly wrong. So no answers, no real insight into what the future would hold for him. And so it was still just, okay, we'll keep him here. Think, you know, it's a 24-hour clinic, we'll give him IV fluids We'll uh, put in a catheter if he needs it. Um, We'll give him antibiotics because his leg has been opened. It's dirty. It's not cleaned. Uh, That open fracture just got wrapped. It didn't get uh, flushed out or anything. And um, so by the time I took him out of Rapid City, uh, two days later, I spent—Emily and I spent two nights in Rapid City, and we— took him back up to Bismarck from there. And we still just did not have any answers. And we just wanted to pursue answers, I guess, in the short of it. And so we called them five hours up to Bismarck and ultimately had more ultrasounds and more x-rays and no answers again. They could not see anything wrong. And it was, there were so many points, Travis, that I I just remember feeling so scared and that his life was just hanging in the balance because it was, okay, he has to make it through 24 hours. There's a 50-50 chance he's not going to. So you wait for those 24. And then they tell you there's a really good chance he's not going to make it 48 hours. And so you're waiting for that. And every time they x-ray and try to find an issue, you're waiting and you're holding your breath. And um, then they would take, x-rays of his pelvis to see and then they would uh check on his lung contusions and um so it was just these series of um them trying to find out what the cause of him not standing or walking or feeling in his legs were and not being able to have that but just like having these moments where you're just holding your breath like is this it is this the time now a week, two weeks later, that I'm gonna have to put him down after this because yeah. you've finally found what's wrong with him.
0: Why couldn't they give you answers?
1: I I guess what it came down to was him needing special imaging, which is ultimately how we ended up at the University of Minnesota. They are one of very few clinics that have MRI machines for them, for that advanced imaging. And he had fractures on his spine and two of his spinal vertebrae at t3 and t4 so actually up between his shoulders like between his shoulder blades and it was on the underside the inside yeah um so not on the top the ridge of his spine but underneath is where those fractures were and they were able to see that he had a really bad spinal cord shock as well and so his spinal cord had been severely bruised um, by the impact and it releases fluid basically and the spinal cord absorbs that shock. And so um, it was. It basically came down to the, to the imaging capabilities and it's either like Colorado or Minnesota.
0: <laughs> it's crazy that they don't have options in these major cities. You know, I mean, Bismarck is a major city. Yeah. And that wasn't given there. But the problem was, not only were you a long ways away, but the first giant blizzard was barreling in and it closed down 94. So you couldn't, there's no way to get to Minnesota for like four days.
1: Yeah, it was an entire week that he was hospitalized in Bismarck without overnight care. And he was ripping out his urinary catheter. He was ripping out his IV catheter nightly. He was eating their crate pads. It was, I mean, he's quill. Yeah, like at the end of the day, it's still quill. And so he's... The mind was still there. He's still going. And he, he was ripping these things out, which obviously is very painful. But yeah, a week we were in a holding pattern waiting without answers to get him to Minnesota. Um just the worst timing.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I know. I kept, we'd check in every day and we're like, nope, can't go yet. Can't go yet. Like, if you get him here, you got a place to stay here. We're an hour from the U of M, you know? But I remember Joe getting there and sending me a text. He got there on, it would have been a uh, Saturday or was it a Sunday?
1: It was a Saturday afternoon. The Interstates opened up Saturday morning at like 8 a.m., and we hit the road probably 20 minutes later.
0: This is seven days after the fall, and you made it to the U of M, only to find out that you can't do this until Monday.
1: No, the neurology department was not active or open over the weekends, and so we had to wait for his consult until Monday, but they could... You know, they could take him in. They could do initial assessments of him and keep him. But you're talking very hefty price tags at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that we had expected uh, to encounter. And so we waited till Monday when neurology could see him. But then the surgery department also had to see him. So we're waiting for a couple moving parts. And at this point, his leg is still an open fracture.
0: Was it still the same?
1: They had changed the bandage, bandage a couple times.
0: Because it wasn't like it was prepped at all. I kept thinking every day, every hour goes by, like the chance of that leg ever being put back together goes down and down and down. Yeah. I would have been losing my mind if I said, at least fix that. But you didn't, nobody wanted to say fix that because the question of, will he ever be able to move anything in his body again was still the the most important question, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, not only the integrity of that bone and being able to put it back together, but the risk of infection is sky high at that point because it's not been flushed out. So he's got dirt from that creek bottom still in there and whatever else uh, still wrapped up in his leg. And so he was on crazy antibiotics and essentially... Without those answers, Joe and I had to contemplate quite a bit what our steps were going to be. And when you're talking about fixing a leg with a plate or even amputating, it's a really big surgery. And we don't know if he's ever even going to be able to walk again. And if he cannot walk on his back legs and we amputate his front leg, I'm not doing that to a dog whose favorite thing to do in this whole world is to run like his paws are on fire. Yeah, And um, not only that, but I guess we did have to wait too. His pneumothorax needed to clean, clear up. So the contusions on his lungs were so bad that it took time for those to heal. And there was a really good chance that he would not have made it out of anesthesia alive given the state of his lungs too. Really? And so he couldn't withstand that surgery for a while, but ultimately we waited a long time until his MRI results came back and they gave us a percentage of chance of him returning to life as a normal dog.
0: What were the percentages?
1: 60, 60%. 60, really? 60, it was that high? Yeah, which it's funny you say that cuz I didn't think it was that high but <laughs> I didn't
0: I never um, thought it would be more than like 10.
1: And and that was a, in their words a normal dog. So that was okay. like a a house dog. And you I mean you've seen but you're, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he's
0: not a house dog. He's, he's a hunting dog.
1: He's a hunting dog. And so that those that percentage was quite scary because You've seen him. He's full bore all the time. And so 60% was would be a pretty diminished quality of life for him. But we ended up obviously getting very, very lucky um, that he persevered as well as he did.
0: So they ultimately decided to do the surgery because they saw enough that said, we think that he'll regain feeling again. It's bruised. It's going to take some time to heal. But we'll do the surgery to put the leg back together, plate in the leg, right?
1: Plate and six screws.
0: Okay. And then what?
1: We waited. Uh, So there was nothing that they wanted to do on the spine for the fractures on his vertebrae because they were on the inside and it would have been so invasive to go in basically from like his rib cage to go in and fix it. And so time would tell us if he was able to walk again and to what degree he'd be able to walk again and it was a month after the surgery where he finally stood up um and even just helping him sit up a month later was you know we were over the moon that he could even just sit and wanted to and Keeping him down was the hardest thing I think I've ever done. I mean, his mind was completely, he's coherent and wanting to go, but we couldn't let him. And so, um, I mean, he was on a very good cocktail of drugs, but. um,
0: (laughs) He couldn't feel much pain.
1: No, but he wanted to go and just even him standing up and drinking water by himself for the first time was a huge milestone. And Mm -hmm. then he continued to just rush it.
0: Yeah. it's So I remember, and I don't know at which point in the process, I don't know if this was in Bismarck or if if this was in the U of M. I think it might've been at the U of M. Joe or you, one of you two sent me a picture and his tail just did the slightest (laughs) little wiggle. Just, you know, like happy tail dog. It did the slightest little wiggle. And I'm like, there's life back there. And I was at that moment, I thought, he's got a chance. If there's life back there, you know, like what were the doctors that were looking at him? Cause was it always the same thing? Maybe, maybe like there was never a definitive. At what point did you get a definitive? Was it after the MRI at the U of M nine days later, 10 days later?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess with that percentage still, it wasn't, it wasn't that definitive. Yeah, And so it was a wishy washy. We'll see type of thing. And that it was very hard to keep chugging through that and to hold out hope. But then also you don't know if you're supposed to be grieving him because two weeks later we could still be putting him down because he cannot walk and his leg is going to, his other leg is gone. So it was, it was trying to balance and navigate hope while also wondering if you're going to need to grieve his loss at some point. And we have to make that decision. And so it was, incredibly hard to go through that um but no again we we kept saying we were going to go forward until we had a hard no and we never got it and it was so draining it was exhausting but that tail wag um makes my heart just explode and you really don't know how much you take it for granted until it's gone and he I mean he couldn't feel anything from the shoulders back you could front shoulders
0: yeah yep front shoulders
1: back you could pinch him as hard as you wanted to there was no feeling no life back there no control and so that means the tail is you know it's immobile as well but Emily came to visit one of the uh I think in January and he wagged his tail for her as soon as she walked in the door, and he tried to walk over to her, and his tail just went crazy, and we both just cried.
0: Oh, I bet. <laughs> it was the
1: first time he had wagged his tail, and I just—of course he remembers her sitting on the concrete floor of the 24-hour vet clinic in Rapid City for hours, just going between crying and hoping and asking questions and crying, and, you know, it was— he knows. He knows mm-hmm. exactly what role she plays.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after uh, you guys got back to Bismarck, Emily sent me a message that she wanted to start a GoFundMe to try to help. And so she started this, and I just remember, like, she and I texted back and forth a couple of times that day just in absolute awe of the generosity of people. Um it just exploded how many people wanted to get behind you guys and support you. And, uh, still to this day, I just like, I'm so grateful to everybody and I'm speaking just because I was there, but for you, um, I just, I remember just thinking how awesome people are to help in this time. Um, you had written a couple of updates and this one here, I just, want to read if it's okay with you um on december 24th which would have been 14 days after you you wrote uh, an update on quill and at the end of that update you wrote this i owe you all his life we very simply wouldn't have him here without us today without you you allowed me to not face the decision to put quill down which was a point that we would have ineb- inevitably reached Given the multiple hospitalizations, the weather that forced our hand, and the lack of answers that forced us to go to the University of Minnesota, I feel with every fiber of my being. I hope to never have to repay any of you, as I hope you never face tragedy of any sort. But please know that I will live my entire life seeking out ways to help where I can help with what I can, and then a whole hell of a lot more. Thank you for his life.
1: yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, in short, I have my best friend still to this day because of the people that rallied behind him, and, uh, I would have absolutely had to put him down because a week, a week into it, the medical bills outpaced what we would have been able to do, and it was very quick, and I wasn't prepared for that, and I had no idea the scope of his treatment, and, um. We just wouldn't have been able to do it. And the biggest gift that all of these people in this upland community and the dog community um, gave me was my best friend's life. And and there have been so many gifts that have come out of it. I've bonded with people who have gone through um, other tragic incidents. I have met so many wonderful people who have held both of us in our heart, in their hearts. And, um, it's just gr- truly, truly overwhelming and incredible, the support that we've received. And, um, uh, someone, someone sent me a message at one point during it <laughs> and said, uh, his new family can't wait to see how well he does uh, down the road and i had to clarify and i said his new family like i didn't give him up and he's like no everyone that's behind him now yeah. his new family and it's things like that that just shake you to your core and you i will carry it with me for the rest of my life um it's just absolutely humbling and incredible and i yeah, he just simply would not be here today without it. And um there was there was also another point near the end of our regular veterinary visits with Quill where he was walking into those appointments. And, you know, we're 20 visits in at this point. And um his his veterana- his veterinarian that he saw <laughs> um thanked me for going forward and for giving him a chance because he said that himself and probably everyone else in the clinic would have never guessed that he would have come out the other side the way that he did. And he thanked me for going forward with giving him a chance. And it just would not have been possible without everyone's support.
0: Yeah. I, every update that you sent, every video that you posted um it was amazing to see his progress and i i still can picture what it looked like the day and i thought to myself i don't think he makes it you know being there and seeing him i didn't think he was going to make it you know and so my goodness i'm so glad that he, <laughs> that <laughs> that you powered through And, and gave him the chance to fight through, but mentally, emotionally, I know it was exhausting on you because he can't move. He can't go do things. His mind wants to, but he can't, he had to stay down for eight weeks, um, you know, and that's hard to imagine keeping your dog down for eight weeks to lay there, not move, not get up. That's anybody, everyone who's listening right now has a dog most likely, and I'm pretty sure none of you would say it's possible to keep your dog down for eight weeks, but his body needed the time to heal. You gave him that. You gave him the chance, and now he's rewarding you because he's running around. He's still not 100% based on where he was prior, but to see him running is unbelievable Renee like when you send videos or you post them on your on your Instagram page or you send me updates like I just the word that comes to mind is joy it's just pure joy because he wasn't supposed to be here
1: oh I would have I would have wagered against him probably from the beginning because the odds were so heavily stacked against him and he beat all of them but yeah. He he does bring me pure joy just by watching him walk or run around the yard and just be a dog. And, you know, God willing, we have a hunting season ahead of us in the fall. (laughs) Oh,
0: I know. uh, I just keep thinking, imagine what it's going to be like when he points a bird for you again. How powerful that's going to be. I wouldn't. I want to be there. <laughs> I wish I could be there. I don't think I'm going to be there, but I wish I could. You live a long ways away. Yeah. But oh my goodness, just to see him back out there doing what he loves more than anything. So it's been five months, roughly, um, since his fall. And is he ahead of schedule? Um, what are his visits like now with the vet? And where, where, where does he go from here?
1: We actually are done with our regularly scheduled visits for um, a while there. It was really hot and heavy, and we have not gone in for a vet appointment in a month or so now outside of a rehabilitation consult. And so I found a great clinic in Castleton, North Dakota, who actually does a lot of uh, rehabilitation for situations like this. Mm. And so he has a stint with them, In two weeks, Uh, he'll stay for four days and go through what they call chiroacupuncture and uh, some pretty intense acupuncture and some shockwave therapy, massage, um, just the whole kind of suite of rehab and PT things um, to hopefully increase his nerve coordinate, his nerves basically for his coordination and to just Make sure that his mind is connected with his nerves the best that they can be, and kind of improve his coordination, stability, his muscles back there. He's wobbly. You know, he tips over every once in a while. he
0: he's lost a little bit of weight
1: mm-hmm. his yep. his muscles have atrophied in the back for sure over the last few months. and um so they'll work on kind of regaining some of that function. But, man, when I took him to that rehab, consult she came in the the vet came in and said based off of his chart that he was way better off than she had expected from reading through his accidents and his treatment and all of the things that he had been through uh, she didn't expect to see him in as good of condition as he was and so she had kind of given some insight into dogs with this similar spinal injury don't ever regain what he has ever and it's been you know it had been four months at that point so she called it a short amount of time Mm -hmm. since the fall which for me feels like a lifetime (laughs) Yeah, but it was really really nice it was the first time that we've had his injury put into perspective and it's really easy for you to have your head down when you're in the trenches and just to like You're just kind of trying to get through day by day and you're like, yeah, he hasn't really progressed to what he has been before. And then to have someone in their medical opinion, professional thoughts say he's doing phenomenal. And it's like, "Okay, I can finally breathe a little bit, you know, and so hopefully he'll still regain a little bit more. I guess they have about nine months to uh recoup any of the functions that they've lost and that's their window is about 9 months so he's in really good shape to get there. Can you
0: look at, you know, like week by week the progression and still see him progressing at this point?
1: I think so. Some weeks are a little worse than others where he he's a little bit more clumsy or or weak. Um kind of depends on what's
0: Oh, we got more dogs in.
1: <laughs> they just escaped the I office. I don't know if
0: somebody uh got the door but maybe one of the dogs did. Dogs are loose. <laughs>
1: They just jailbroke.
0: <laughs> Good for them.
1: Um so yeah, I can still see it and he's getting muscle definition back in those legs and um the more that he uses them and kind of challenges his mind through some of our PT exercises at home, he's regaining some of that stability and control over his legs.
0: Okay. So is his leg then and does that um, a plate in there. Is there any concern about that at this
1: point? Not anymore, thank goodness. So there was for a very long time. I
0: remember that, yeah.
1: For two months, I think, uh, there was concern about infection basically being embedded under that plate where, I mean, his, I'm sure his leg was just a breeding ground for bacteria for sitting for two weeks with all of that dirt and stuff in it. And so it, it was a very good chance that he was going to have to have that plate taken out at the end of two months with the screws because of infection or because of the screws loosening. Did
0: that mean that he would have to amputate?
1: Not necessarily. Two months would have given it enough time for the plate to have done its job in healing the radius. Okay. But if things, unless things got really bad, basically, if he had like gangrene.
0: (laughs) Well, it just blows my mind that, Was it 13 days or was it 14 days from fall to when they put it back together that bone was exposed? I mean, it was sticking out.
1: Yes, that sounds about right. It was the 20th, December, maybe 10 days. It was December 20th that he had his surgery. And I think we took him home on the 22nd. Well, we got stuck in Min- Minneapolis because of another blizzard. Another blizzard.
0: Blizzard mm-hmm. after blizzard, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, so about 10 a little, yeah, about 2 weeks. Mhm. You'll
0: never forget this experience ever. <laughs> ever. What have you learned? This is an important part of our conversation here. You've learned so much. What have you learned? What's your biggest takeaway or is it a variety of things?
1: It's uh, it's actually a lot. There are things that I wish we would have done differently in the field. There are things I wish I would have done differently during his veterinary care. There are better ways that I could have been prepared, more knowledge I could have had. Hindsight's twenty twenty, yeah. so it's easy for me to look back. But there's mm-hmm. a lot that can be gleaned from this, and that's my primary goal now, that he is, you know, we're we're okay now to share so that if it even helps just one person and one dog it's that is worth everything to us so yeah I it varies a lot um I think the biggest lesson for me just because he did end up this well is being able to advocate for your dog in their veterinary care and
0: (laughs) he smells a turkey fan good for you Quill.
1: Tell Scott I'm sorry. Um okay. So I I truly think just being able to advocate for them and make sure that you feel comfortable getting the right care and proper care for them and it can be really hard, it can feel impossible, but second opinions are worth their weight in gold sometimes and um we had quite a few hiccups along the way where we had bad advice from doctors and a kind of a lack of care or quality in care, and it made a very stressful situation so much worse. And so, just not to have tolerance for that, and to find a vet that you feel very comfortable with, pursue those second opinions and um and kind of just be able to be the best advocate for your dog. Um, I know that's it's kind of harder, uh, easier said than done, but
0: yeah I think um, there's something about like a comfort you know you or a trust factor with somebody. and so if you don't have that, I think what you're saying is to make sure that you give yourself an opportunity to talk to somebody else because you might get information from somebody else that you know it might not be a life or death scenario like this, but there's a lot of scenarios that our dogs are put into all the time. And having a trusted veterinarian is so valuable.
1: It is, especially in a unique case like this. And hopefully no one else suffers anything near this. But, you know, the vets that we went to have probably never seen anything like this, a dog that fell 50 feet off of a cliff. And so it's it's a unique situation, but they don't have, I don't expect a vet to be experienced in every type of injury that they could encounter in the field, but you need to find one that fits your situation, I guess is. And yeah, just those bumps along the road with his care were very stressful and very hard to deal with. And, um, just, just push for them where you can. And, um, I think outside of that, um, I had to pick I don't I don't want to order these I guess and of what I've learned but um, having a baseline knowledge of the veterinary options in your area especially if you're hunting out of state out of town is incredibly important I had no idea that there was you know, an emergency clinic that you could go to after hours. But then there's a 24-hour clinic who can care for your dog through the night. And then there are certain clinics that have MRI and CT scan capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so really, I guess it came down to, yes, emergency visits after hours, but he needed 24-hour care. And I should have known where the closest 24-hour care was because we could have maybe... Maybe cut out that first vet stop. Maybe not because he was so far off. But it was kind of a last-minute decision. Like, which direction do I drive six hours in? And I just had no idea. And you're...
0: In hindsight, you would have gone to Fargo, probably. Correct. And that would have changed everything. You could have been at the U of M the next day. Right. Instead, it was 10 days later before you finally get there. Or Mm -hmm. nine days later.
1: Yeah, I just... I never thought about the difference in the services at a vet I never across.
0: knew that that was even a thing either, where the that specific MRI that you needed to get to determine if he would ever get function of his back again was only in Minneapolis. Where was the other one? Was it? Colorado. In Colorado. Yeah. That's crazy. Which is... <laughs> So far. Yeah.
1: So I guess what I would encourage people to do is at least wherever you are, map out, yes, an after-hours emergency clinic for weekends, because that's usually when you're hunting, but know where a 24-hour care clinic is. God willing, something tragic happens, and you need it, yeah. because...
0: I, I still think we did the right thing in that scenario, though. We went to the closest vet. We had somebody, of a, a doctor, that answered on call and met us there. And that was, at that point, we didn't know if Quo was going to make it an hour or 20 minutes, you know, so it was of importance to get there. So I I still think we did the right thing by going to that that first one. Would you have done anything different there?
1: I don't think so. That first pit stop, I would have kept. It was probably just the next, probably instead of driving to Rapid City, I would have gone to Fargo Mm -hmm. and been a little bit closer to home and a little bit closer to the services that we needed, which we couldn't have assumed that he even needed those, Yeah, that imaging, but just knowing what's available and what those clinics are capable of is huge. And I've, I think we've both shared this before, but also having their vet records handy with you, because if you're after hours or on a weekend, there's a good chance, especially if your dog has special requirements or needs, uh, you should have those records in the um, glove box of your truck or in your first aid kit so that you can share those. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think in the field care is obviously very hard to even imagine what you're going to encounter, but I am now a huge proponent of having at least a a working knowledge of the things that you could encounter a leg break an open fracture, spinal injuries, um, any type of wounds like that, that you're going to hopefully never encounter. But obviously we've, we know now that it can happen, but mm-hmm. you know, being prepared to stabilize a leg, um, We probably should have stabilized his leg before we moved him, but we knew that we needed to get him out of that field as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. But that would have likely, I mean, that should have been the next step if his injuries weren't that bad. And I mean, yeah, you can do it, but have you ever really thought about how you're going to stabilize a break? Because I hadn't.
0: Right. And In hindsight now, I mean, two sticks and the gauze. I have the gauze in the truck. Yeah. You know, but not there. Right. And also, you know, considering that, you know, he's in, he's in shock, he's, he's shaking. Um, I don't, you know, I, I go back to that, that moment there in the field and, you know, I don't know that given situation if stabilize or, you know, wrapping that leg was of as much importance as, cause the first thing Emily, when she looked at me, she goes, I'm not worried about the leg. You know, and so it's like there's internal stuff here that we need to be careful of. We obviously would have wished we had something else to carry him with, a backboard, a board, you know, like that's not feasible either, right? We put ourselves into some pretty tough spaces out there. Um I think being calm if if it's possible given the situation um or if somebody else is in a situation, your friend and their dog, and it's, you know, it's different for each person. But if you're able to be a calming voice, a calming hand, you know, over them and to help in that way, that can be uh, just a, a a big blessing for that situation. But yeah, I mean, you don't think about a lot of these things until you have have to act on the fly so coming prepared what would you bring in your pack differently today than you would have yesterday
1: i uh an emergency blanket a quality one that's not going to rip because hey, he had a 95 degree temperature and we were covering him in your clothes. down vests and your clothes that were <laughs> yes. loose in the back seat I know. um yep. I should have had a, a quality emergency blanket. And then I've also learned from someone else that you, especially if they're in shock in the field, a blanket's great, but you need a way to secure that blanket to them for transport. And so some way to wrap it around them and then secure it. So it stays on and does its job. And so I think a blanket would have been very beneficial. Um, I do carry gauze. So a stick would have worked for the leg. Um, outside of that, for this, um, it's a very real possibility that when they're in that much stress and in shock that they um, can bite you. And Quill did bite down on my hand. And it was a very real concern for Emily as I was leaning over him initially that I was going to get bit. And he, I had a glove on my hand and he did he chomped down on my hand, not like a, a bite, but it was like a, a pressure. Like I I'm in pain and it was just clamping shut and I didn't care in the moment, but I do have a muzzle back in the truck for if I need to have him, I've used it uh, when multiple people are around him and I'm trying to staple his chest shut, which I've done. And the muzzle gives you peace of mind because the dog is in agony I'm not necessarily going to carry it in my vest, I don't think, but it's a very real possibility that that's going to happen, and it's not their fault. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I don't blame them one bit. Um, Other than that, I feel like for in-the-field care, I had never practiced putting him in my vest before to carry him, and this, again, was a very odd situation where we were trying very hard to not further hurt his leg that was just hanging there mm-hmm. and then also we knew that there was some sort of internal injury i did not guess at that point that he had spinal uh fractures but should have kept him very very straight and still and getting him into my vest was quite hard given the condition that he was in and us trying to limp him along and that vest just didn't work very well. And then you found out that your vest worked phenomenally for the situation. It
0: unzipped from the top, which yeah. allowed it to be, we were able to wrap it around him. And it's just kind of like, you know, when you're in those moments, you just, you sometimes you just do things without really thinking. It's like, this will work. This is going to work. And it worked, you know, but yeah, you don't, I never, I never thought about that before until that very second, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I suspect it would be pretty easy for you to just haul Daisy out of the field, but especially she's,
0: you know, 15 pounds lighter. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: But especially for, um, I'm not going to say female hunters, but smaller framed hunters who have a 60 pound German dog. How, if you're alone, how are you going to get them out of the field? And are they trained to stay in your vest in a situation like that? Have they? I don't think you should expose your dog to that scenario if you've never practiced for it before. And so, could you put Daisy in the back of your vest and feel comfortable that she's okay and she's not going to try to jump out each time? You know, practice. Mm. And. If you don't have a vest of that sort, then get a a sling. They make all sorts of things you can just tuck into your pockets uh to be able to carry them. but especially if you're a solo hunter with a larger dog, practice getting them out.
0: yeah, I mean, you think about some of these places that we walk into and it can be miles. We were a half mile roughly, maybe a little more. I don't know. so I've been some places where I've been over five, six miles. I mean, think about that. you know that's the stuff where an in-reach or, you know, if you're out of cell service, depending on where you're at, um, you know, there's different features out there. I know Garmin has it on their caller, on their GPS that if you need to hit that button, the emergency button, um, think about some of those things because after the accident happens, that's when you're like, Oh, that would have been nice to have, or, Oh, I wish I had this. Or, you know, I mean, it's, You know, we're sitting here like replaying this now. What could we have done different? You know, and your advice, I hope people take. And I think they are because, um, did you go to the trauma training class at Pheasant Fest this past year?
1: I did not. I I couldn't get into it either
0: because it was full, you know, like that tells me. And this was, we had been talking about this and a lot of people knew about what happened to Quill. And I just think that, um, He's having an impact on other people that you don't know about, Renee. And you know, we haven't sat down till now, but I I guarantee you there's I because I'm I'm getting messages from people. How's Quill doing? You know, um, is Quill okay? How's Renee doing? Things like that. They care, they're wondering. So they're out there and I know they're listening right now, and there's people listening right now that have financially supported Quill too and and you and, and his recovery here. But they are wondering what would happen if they were in your shoes, you know? And so that's why this this class fills up instantly. And the trauma training, like what happens to your dog? How are you going to help your dog in that situation? Because it's very real.
1: It is. And uh, I truly appreciate the people that have reached out and said, right after Quill's accident, I bought a harness to carry my dog out of the field really? and I'm practicing. Yeah. or. They've taken out pet insurance since then because I have uh, found out how devastating this can be. And mm-hmm. so, pet insurance can help mitigate some of that. And that's not something I had for Quill. Is it something I will have moving forward for my dogs? Absolutely.
0: What have you researched as far as pet insurance that what, like, had he been covered prior, would they have covered all of the surgeries and all of the expenses? Or what is it? cover in a hunting dog
1: you know i'm not even too sure i haven't done my due diligence and looking yet just because i maybe it was wrong of me to assume but um you know when we were in the thick of things of his uh kind of recovery i just assumed that no one would take it <laughs> nobody
0: will take the stock no
1: <laughs> and so you know you just like <laughs> For oh, better or
0: worse buddy it's, it's not funny <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's so bad. But I just, you know, you don't even think about it until months down the road. And so it's something I still need to look into. But um, gosh, I would hope that if there is an accident, it's not. I think I think they do cover preventative care, some checkups and immunizations and things. But, um, you know, it's pre-existing conditions. I don't know. But accidents, I would sure hope so. Yeah.
0: At least ask those questions when you're looking for insurance on it.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Um are there any other things that you've thought about over the last few months that you've really taken away from this experience?
1: I think having your dog be steady to a degree that you are comfortable with is incredibly important. And I'm not saying that it would have saved Quill from this injury, but it maybe maybe it could have prevented it if he was steady to wing uh, flush and if he was steady to shot maybe emily or i would have still released him and he would have still ended up off the cliff after that bird i mean i you truly just don't know but um you know you you hear about situations where a dog has been shot and i've seen close close calls in the field where a bird is flying low mm-hmm. and the dog is not steady to flush and if your dog is going to break you need to know now i know you need to know what your surroundings are and what position you're putting that dog in and the people that you're sharing the field with and if you feel comfortable about the shots that they're going to take if your dog is not steady and so i've i've thought about that a lot he was freshly two years when this fall happened we i just hadn't gotten there in training yet you know it's he's a whirlwind of a dog you you can empathize with Daisy's
0: <laughs> oh, for sure.
1: drive, and so it's a lot to get him just even toned down a little bit, let alone steady. We hadn't even focused on that, and so maybe it would have saved us a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think you know for this specific thing, it's hard to go back to that moment, but yeah, I remember Joe. He goes, "That was one of the things he he when we were talking on the phone too. He brought up, and I'm like, I." I, I can't speak to it. I, I wasn't there to see if that would have. But I I do agree with what you're saying in that I've seen dogs break, you know, chase that have put themselves in some very tough spots. And I know other hunters have lost dogs that have done that. And that goes to the importance of, you know, the time that people spend training with their dogs and and the situations that they're put in for sure.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a priority for us moving forward in his training, and I will ensure that the dogs that I do have in the future are are steady as I can get them because I I truly think it's important, and the what ifs are are endless, you know. Yeah, it sure. could have played out a, di- a million different ways. I mean, even when we broke from our tailgate lunch and we're headed out into the field, I thought to myself should I leave Quill in the truck? Because I had not run him for the entire week prior because I was traveling for work and he had already put on, Daisy and uh, Riggins hunted some of it. Quill, they had put on 10 miles already, you know, because they're insane.
0: He would have been so mad at you. You can't go back and say you would have left. He was ready for it. I
1: remember walking away from the truck, questioning myself. Should I leave him so that I can still hunt him tomorrow and the next day and have him be fresh, you know, not as miserable as taking a week off and then putting 20 miles on? He'll do it. No questions asked. Mm -hmm. But I remember thinking that and just like, no, he's going to want to hunt. This is, that's what he wants to do. And if I would have left him in the truck, you know, it It would have never, so it's, it's, it's endless. Yeah,
0: I know. You can't go back and do the what ifs because you can do that for everything in life. And we don't want to do that, but I think uh, there's definitely been some lessons learned. How about for yourself? Um, outside of the dog, what have you learned about yourself and, and who's been your biggest supporter through this whole thing?
1: Ooh, um, man, that's a loaded question, Travis. Mm -hmm. I think I have learned um, I've learned a lot from Quill, just in his strength and the attitudes that he maintained throughout it. He's just happy, you know, and he's just stayed happy, regardless of what happened to his body. And there's a lot to be pulled from that. and it there's a lot to be learned from them in those types of situations. and I've learned that I'm a little bit stronger than I thought I was. I mean, looking at it a couple months ago, I was completely devastated and didn't think I was going to get through it and we've pulled him through in the best way possible and in the best shape. So um but I've learned how to be a a solid calming presence for other people and for dogs one of the best pieces of advice that I had gotten through this was from my very very um, good friend and mentor and co-worker um, Tom Fuller said you need to maintain and suppress your emotions when you go and see Quill because when you go to visit him and you're just an absolute wreck and you're crying and you're upset and you're anxious they feel all of it and they don't need that. They don't need that added burden. And so you need to be strong for them going in to see them and to help pull them through it. And I had never even thought about that. I mean, you know how perceptive dogs are to mm. people who are upset or to different situations. They feel it very strongly. And I just never thought about it. And so I I tried to have some mental clarity going in to visit him or having it at, him at home and just trying to be a strong person for him. And, um, also just learned how to be there for other people in situations like this. If, if I could grant anyone anything in a traumatic situation like this, it would be an Emily Spolyar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she just let me be, she let me, she was there the entire time and she let me go through it all. And she just stayed with me. She helped me ask questions that I couldn't ask. She helped me think when I couldn't think for myself. And I was just so upset. And um she just was an incredible person who didn't. I mean, it wasn't anything. I'm not dismissing any of it, but it's not like she showed up with roses and gift backs. She just, it was her presence. And it was just who she was and how she helped me through it. And so, um, I hope I never have to do that for someone else, but um, to just let people go through it and just to know that you're there for them is incredibly important. Um, but honestly, just everyone—I I could not pick one person just because I've—I've I've received so many amazing messages and thoughtful um, notes, and Quill has been spoiled to. Death and treats <laughs> and stuffed toys and the veterinary staff has been so amazing wherever we we are and um it'd be way too hard to just narrow it down to one person but it's really just the community that yeah. I am so thankful for.
0: It's a special community for sure. Uh, I I think we see it all the time and the generosity and just how close you know and people caring and they legitimately care and that's a cool thing to know that there's other people out there like you said. Um, He's going to hunt He's going to hunt, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he is <laughs> I cannot wait to watch him hunt again It's amazing It might uh, Might be the most amazing bird You ever hold in your hand You cherish that bird when you get it
1: I probably won't be able to see it You're through. probably
0: going to miss it yeah, It's going to be raining all of a sudden <laughs> It's
1: just it's very cloudy and dusty Blurry, here and Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> You have, um, you've stuck by his side this whole time, you've powered through, you've given him a chance and he's rewarded with it. Dogs, ah, they're, they just don't quit, do they?
1: Do not. Thank goodness they do not.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Well, we're so grateful that you, um, were willing to share this story and I hope that it helps other people just think about things. You know, I look at, I look at the hunt different because I was there. I saw it we were we went through it you know and I and I specifically that next day when I'm like I got to go back out and I don't want to do this you know because we we're there and I felt like we needed to go on a walk and and I remember we were on this public property that had the exact same river going through it and I pulled her off I'm like no nope, I don't want you to go over there right now I'm just not mentally right there you know because there's another steep cliff and I'm like she's on point and, uh, I don't know. It just made me think a little bit. And I only say that because it's made me think about bigger picture things too. And so I think that's important. And hope other people take that from this conversation today to be prepared, um, for things that can happen out there because it can happen. And when it does, it happens and you don't get to undo. Yeah. Fortunately, Quill, <laughs> <laughs> the miracle dog, you have got, uh a second life and I have a good feeling as he hobbles over here he's yes yes buddy (laughs) he's gonna make the most of it can't wait to see you hunt buddy we will be back next week with another episode of the Flesh Podcast